Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, I hope you had a great weekend again. Uh, just just got back at the house here a little bit ago, another weekend where we got to get out in the woods a little bit, do some scouting, uh, a little bit of shed hunting, if you would, uh, not not shed finding, that's for sure, but uh, it, was, it was real good, real nice weekend weather-wise, finally, here in Pennsylvania. Got to spend some time with uh, the guys from Wild at Heart Outdoors. They um, they were on episodes 34 and 35, I believe, with um, talking about their experiences out west as well as um, some mountain buck strategies. So I went to I went to scout with them more or less to learn a little bit more with their kind of their different strategies with hunting really steep terrain. So a lot of the the properties or I guess land that that I hunt in the big woods is it, it has some steep terrain to it, but not like giant ravines everywhere. It has some gradual lands where these guys are hunting some really steep country, and they're being successful at it by hunting the buck beds. And so I want to kind of go with them and learn how they're and. And it was similar to kind of where it's like another steep country where the bucks tend to bed out towards the points, but here it seemed to be more exaggerated and, and we were finding these, these buck beds along with some just super sized rubs that, um, and just kind of got to learn how they were setting up on it. What, what happens with the wind access and everything else. And, and, uh, these guys are putting in a ton of work and, it definitely shows, you know, year after year. So that was, that was really cool to be able to, to learn from them and, you know, be able to apply some of the stuff towards my own hunting. And then just, uh, today, so it'd be on Sunday here. I, I went out looking for some Pennsylvania elk sheds to no avail. Um, but then also I, my mind switched over to deer pretty quick cause I was, uh, then started scouting some new, <laughs> some new locations. So I didn't, didn't stick on the elk, uh, the elk shed hunting there for very long and just kind of started scouting for deer. But, uh, yeah, so that's, what's, uh, that's, that's kind of going on here in the last week. Um, the mountain buck t-shirts, uh, they'll be coming in here hopefully in the next week or two and be ready to ship. So, um, you can order them online on the website, the the pre-order sale just ended, but we still we have them up there ready for order. And three percent of the sales it of the the Mountain Buck T-shirt will be going to the Quality Deer Management Association or the QDMA. So pick them up, help support the podcast, and uh, help support conservation organization like QDMA. And then also the Rut Stash t-shirt still on sale with it being rut stash march hopefully you're you're growing out your rut stash years we're getting into you know the the middle part of the month here so i hope that's uh hope that's all going well and i want to see some pictures <laughs> sent over and and hopefully no angry messages from uh loved ones that's for sure <laughs> but today on the podcast we have Corey Jacobson coming back on. So Corey 
is is coming back on as as you've heard here you know with university of Elconning being uh, a partner of the podcast this year and everything we decided to kind of do this in a few part series you know diving into what the university of Elconning does and being able to help um you go from the beginning through the whole process of how to plan and execute your first elk hunt or um being able to pick out a new area it's it's not just for for new hunters so this this episode here is going to be all about planning your hunt so from the planning phases the budgeting and um google Earth scouting everything at the beginning there so I'm really excited for this one. I think this first section here will help a lot of people out get over that that barrier. And I've noticed that you know with this podcast, come out with a lot of you know a lot of information towards that, but just not not enough uh, to start right here at the ground level and go up through. So hopefully um, you find some good information here, which I I know you will coming from Corey. So let's let's dive into the partners here uh, shortly. So University of Elk Hunting just talked about it. Corey Jacobson, who will be on this episode here. The University of Elk Hunting is an online course that has 17 different modules and a total of 54 chapters. It's all about elk hunting from planning the elk hunt to calling elk to elk behaviors uh, the the field care of meat to everything in between gear fitness and the University of Elk Hunting is something you know I've been a part of here for this will be going on my fourth year to uh, be having access to this course there's a lot of invaluable information there that I think uh, think that it would really help you out if you're planning on doing an elk hunt anytime in the next few years which I highly recommend so Corey's offering $20 off the course here. So it's 20% off. You can enter code East Meets West at checkout and you'll save yourself 20 bucks. And the next partner here is Heather's Choice. So Heather's has created these meals, these healthy meal options that you don't need all this stuff that's full of salt and everything else that, you know, kind of makes you feel like dirt in the backcountry or just uh, out on a hiking, scouting trip, anything else. Um, had some of the, the chicken mole uh, dinner this weekend and and also some of the, what other flavors did we have? All had a ton of different pack runes, the, the blueberry pack runes, black espresso, everything else awesome food so uh, if you enter code east meets west you'll get free shipping on any orders over 99 dollars and if you just want to try some things out you don't want to spend over 99 dollars please use the link that i have in the on the website to enter that that just helps show that we're supporting it so check that out and and if you find anything you like give it a try so, and then the other partner here would be Maven Optics. So, Maven has created the highest quality optics with Japanese ED glass in a direct-to-consumer market So, or business model. So, with, with that business model, they've been able to come out with the highest quality glass at half the price of their competitors in a very customer service-driven company. So when you call them, if you have ever have any issues, anything, you're getting a real person. You're going to talk to Molly. She's great, and they'll help you out and take care of you. So if you're looking to upgrade your optics, 
um, whether that's a rifle scope, binoculars, or spotting scope, definitely check out Maven Optics at mavenbuilt.com. If you enter code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT at checkout, you'll get a free gift with any of your optics purchases. All right, with that being said, let's get right into this one here with Corey Jacobson. Enjoy. All right, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. And today I have on the line a returning guest coming from Idaho, Corey Jacobson. Corey, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Bo. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's good to hear from you again and and get you back on the podcast here. So um, I'm excited for this one. Totally. No, and I think, uh, you know, it used to be I'd look at the month of March and think nobody's even thinking about elk hunting, but the landscape has certainly changed and i think uh now is a very timely time to be talking about elk and planning an elk hunt for the fall yeah most definitely and and um you know it's it's not too late either to you know plan an elk hunt for this year so that's what's yeah what's pretty awesome about you know this time and the reason why i wanted to, to get you on here at this time to talk about you know planning uh do-it-yourself over-the-counter type hunt so absolutely yeah, and and um, the listeners that have been you know up with this podcast recently and everything, they now know that you know we partnered together with the University of Elk Hunting and East Meets West here. As I've talked about, you know, well before I even you know met you, or I guess haven't met you in person yet, but talked to you on the phone. I've been a I've been a subscriber to a lot of your content in the past and then have been signed up for the University of Elk Hunting now for three years. So it's it's been something that I really believed in and thought it would be a, a great fit. And what I want to you know cover in this episode here is really getting into the first couple you know modules of of the University of Elk Hunting when it comes to the planning phase of the hunt, you know, the opportunities available and you know, kind of what to expect there because I've been, um, this is, you know, I've went through 50 some episodes so far and I've covered a lot of great content. I mean, the people that I've had on have been excellent, but I realized that I hadn't really dug into the, you know, the beginning phases here and, and talked about from starting from ground zero for either a new elk hunter or just maybe someone that's looking to change it up and go to a different state as you know as i am this year so that's that's kind of where i wanted to start Corey. totally no and that's i think it you know the university of elk hunting is a it's a powerful resource for any experience level elk hunter i mean if you've elk hunted for 20 years i think there are things in there that are going to hopefully help you increase your success. But I think where the real value and power of the online course comes in is for someone uh, who's starting from ground zero for planning, because there, there, there's content out there for someone to learn about how to call elk or different calling strategies or different things. But there's not really much out there for somebody that doesn't even know where to start. And when it comes to you know planning or scouting from a remote location, things like that, uh, the the resources are, are pretty scarce. And so I think, you know, as you had reached out to me and said, hey, let's let's dive into the first couple modules. I think for someone 
uh, coming from back east especially or someone planning their first elk hunt or someone that just really you know maybe has been once or something but wants to try something new in a different location uh, that's where those first two modules really shine and and honestly that's why I was excited to partner with East Meets West because it's just a perfect fit for what you're trying to introduce your listeners to and and what we're trying to provide for somebody who's wanting to come out and and experience how awesome elk hunting is. Yeah, and no that's that's exactly right and and like I said I mean this the the whole you know University of Elk Hunters what is there 18 different modules uh, 17 modules yeah and 50, 54 chapters I think yeah. So, the, I mean, like there's, there's a lot of uh, content in there, but these first two couple modules are like, like you were saying, they're are especially important to, you know, someone that's looking to get into it or, you know, again, even someone at an experience level, just looking to try out a new area and everything. Because I, I think the biggest barrier to entry that I see and from the people that I talk to happens to be with the, the planning phase can be overwhelming and I, I don't really think it needs to be. And that's, I, I just, like I said, I've went through your course, which had helped me plan my first one. And I just kept, you know, re-upping my membership because every year I revisit it and look at it again to help with these planning phases. It's, you know, it's something that you're not going to go through this course in, you know, a week or so. It's something that takes, you know, dedicated time and to learn and it'll, definitely increase your odds of, um, I'm going to say opportunity, um, because I can't speak from the success standpoint. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say opportunity. <laughs> For sure. And I've had several people, you know, that when it first came out, um, when, when the first renewals came up, you know, they were excited to jump back in and almost everyone I've talked to that's renewed has basically said, it's a working document that, continues to the the course itself doesn't necessarily change sure there there are updates we make every year but as you gain more experience there are certain parts of the course that stand out that you didn't pick up on or that you glazed over or that were uh, maybe more advanced than what somebody going the first time was was going to pick up on or actually utilize and so it is something that progresses with you as you gain that experience you might not need the planning phase the next year but you're going to get into more you know, you've had the experience, you've been in a few situations, and now some of the tactics and strategies start to stand out. Or maybe as you go to a new state, some of the, the remote scouting portions of the online course actually stand out and become what's most valuable that year. And so it's been neat to to hear from individuals like you that started at the beginning with us and are still in there pulling out nuggets of information that as you gain experience, there, there are things in the course that kind of continue to add to your level of experience and success. Yeah. And I mean, you said it perfectly when I, when I went into this, you know, I thought of it as a, you know, a one-time course, you get the, the membership, you learn, you learn it all and you're good to go. But once I, once I went through that and then I actually revisited the course right after I got back from my first hunt and things like you said, stuck out to me that I didn't you know, no, even from like the, as we'll get into here in a little bit, but the Google Earth scouting and, and, you know, where the elk actually were, you know, as far as looking at the maps and, and just different things that, that, um, different resources for scouting and, and, 
and encounters and setups and all of that made more sense to me after going through one hunt and then revisiting it. I really was able to, you know, soak in that information. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I wouldn't say I necessarily planned it that way, but as we got into the creation of the content and realized how big it was, I knew that, you know, there's way more than anybody's going to be able to just digest in uh, one time through it. And in fact, in the intro, I even say, you know, make sure you have a pen and paper handy because you're going to need to write stuff down. There's just way more than you're going to be able to remember. Yeah, no, that's that's for sure. So to get started, Corey, the the biggest thing, um, you know, when someone's going into an elk hunt or anything and, and kind of starts off in your course here is thinking about the expectations of a hunt. Can you kind of go into those those specific, like w- what you mean by what are your ex- expectations for the hunt? For sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, if somebody says, I want to go elk hunting, it just, there's so many trails you can go down to, to make that happen. And, you know, we start talking about over-the-counter tags versus limited entry or draw tags. We look at, you know, do-it-yourself versus guided hunts. Uh, We look at the seasons, whether it's archery, rifle, muzzleloader, all of those options. So there's just, there's so many variables that go into an elk hunt and what you're hoping to get out of it that it's really important before you even start planning uh, some of those logistics of saying, what do I expect? Do I want to just go and be in elk country for a week and hear an elk bugle for the first time and start chasing them around and maybe not even see one, but just look at that as, as a successful hunt. Or are you one of the guys that wants to go on one elk hunt in their lifetime and, and shoot a mature bull? And so I think just having those expectations of um, what's your goal, what's, what's the intended outcome for the hunt, uh, what's, what are you going to classify a success? Do you plan on going back every year? Do you plan on going once every 10 years? Uh, do you plan on just, you know, going one time? And so I think with that understanding and, and that, you know, those definitions, uh, or maybe those, those details or features defined, it's a lot easier to go through and start saying, okay, here are your options and here are the states that would fit that, uh, or here's the plan and the strategy you need to, kind of get going right now in order to be able to facilitate those expectations. And so, uh, you know, I think we go through in the online course and just kind of ask those, those questions. What do you define as success? What are your expectations? What, what weapon are you planning on using? Um, what's your budget? You know, budget's important. And I think probably budget is the, the biggest limiting factor for somebody going on their first elk hunt. And it's not because it costs so much money. It's because the perceived cost of that hunt is so high that people don't ever, you know, take that next step and say, okay, I'm going to start planning it because they don't think they can afford it. Uh, but realistically, we, we can talk about cost as we get into it a little bit, but it's not nearly as expensive as people think to uh, to travel out west and go on an elk hunt. And, you know, I th- I think we look at guided hunts and yeah, those are expensive, but you can do it yourself. And realistically, you can have a successful hunt on your own your first time out uh, with just a little bit of planning and and legwork. So those are some of the questions, you know, time frame. Do you want to go in six months, you know, this September or are you willing to wait a year or two? Is this a long-term plan? And uh, once we have those 
questions answered, uh, it becomes a lot easier to pick a path and go down that path and truly plan the hunt. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I mean, it seems like for the, the most part, if you're looking to say, do this on a, a budget, okay. You determine that, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to, you know, just do this one time to knock this off the bucket list or, you know, I want to, I want to hunt elk as much as possible, whether that's every year or every two to three years, whatever that might be. Then it, you know, at that standpoint, then you're kind of looking at, um, you know, the, the over the counter type do it yourself style hunting, just because of, again, you're looking at the limiting factors of money and, and time from that, from that standpoint. And when, when you're doing that, like, I mean, in, in the modules here, when you kind of determine your goal and just, just for the, um, for us speaking about this, so we can kind of go in a direction, say someone's goal is that they want to have a great experience. They want to have an opportunity at, you know, killing a, a bull elk and they want to do it, you know, themselves on, you know, an over the counter tag, you know, meaning you can, you can go out and, you know, buy these tags at Walmart or, you know, it's not something that you have to put in to draw and, and build points along that side of it. So Corey, would you, if someone was going to do this, the, the next big, you know, factor has to do is with time and, you know, someone coming from the East coast, you know, there's drive time or if you're flying out, it seems like most people tend to drive, but how much time would you allot to create that sort of experience? You know, and I think, um, if we're looking at like Colorado, for instance, that Colorado is an easy state to get to for everyone east of the Mississippi. And, you know, I think it's pretty realistic within two days, you can be there, you know, driving, flying, obviously cuts it down a little, but if you budget two days on the front end, two days on the back end, that usually gives you time to get up and get things packed and loaded up and drive and maybe make it, you know, partway home that night, stay the night and then get home the next day. Uh, but then you look at your calendar and you realize that just ate up four days of your vacation time, just getting there. Uh, so if you're closer to to Colorado or if you're going to another state and say, you you know, it's a 12-hour drive, you can make it in a day, that's great. But for the most part, I think, you know, you're, you're probably realistically looking at giving up four days of your vacation time just to travel if you're driving uh, from back east. So that's that's it pretty hefty investment in time. And when it comes to actually on the ground hunting, you know, if you live at a location that the elevation is 600 or 800 feet and you're going to Colorado and hunting at 10 or 11,000 feet, you'd probably better budget a couple more days just to acclimate to the elevation because you're not going to get after it and hike 10 miles your first day getting there at that elevation. Um, if you're in shape and, and you've worked out and prepared for it, you know, I think your body's going to adapt fairly quickly and you know, you're going to get blood circulating to your legs and get oxygen into your lungs a little bit more efficiently and be able to take off and go. But um, again, you know, that's, that's a factor to consider. And now you're talking six days of vacation time before you really get to get after it too, uh, too aggressively. So, you know, if you're coming out and you're spending this money, and you're really stressing about, you know, taking that one week of vacation time from work. So that gives you five days during the week plus, you know, your two days of, of weekend time. Say you leave Friday after work, you travel as much as you can Friday night, you drive all day Saturday, you get there super late Saturday night, you get up Sunday, 
and you know you're acclimating Sunday and and Monday and realistically Tuesday's your first day to hunt uh, but you've got to be back home ready to go to work the next Monday you've got you know Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday basically to get it done and four days um, you're going to be able to experience elk country no doubt you're probably going to be able to if you're hunting during the rut um, here in elk bugle if you're in the right area uh, but to, to be successful on that hunt and to fill a tag, uh, four days is going to be, you know, I would say, especially if, if you're just by yourself, yeah, four days might be time to do it. But if you have a partner there and you guys are, you know, switching between who's the caller and the shooter, uh, four days is, is not going to be realistic to fill two tags on your first elk hunt on a do-it-yourself public land over-the-counter type tag. I would just strongly you know recommend trying to add another three or four days onto that yeah no that's that's a good point and 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 that's something that you know from guys that are you know coming guys or girls coming from the east and you know we take you know our our rut vacation for say whitetail hunting you can get away with a week vacation because you're not driving as far and that travel time is is a big deal and plus the the acclimation process when and i i won't get into this here in detail but on a, a few podcasts ago i guess it was probably about 10 ago now i had one of my friends on who had a really serious case of altitude sickness this past year in new mexico where he ended up in the hospital and everything so it's a very it's something really to take note of and i know even this year when i went out there i you know said i was going to take a day to try to acclimate and ended up you know, I'm just going to go up on this ridge and just, you know, kind of glass a little bit and get used to being where I'm at. And I ended up going a little bit too hard and, and got sick, you know, right on day one. So it's, it's definitely important to add that, you know, time in there. And I can, you know, speak of that from just the three years of me driving out there to, to do that. So. Yep. And I think, you know, you know what to expect now, and it still has an effect on you, I'm sure. Uh, just me and I, I live at 5,000 feet. My house is at 5,000 feet in elevation. So I have a huge advantage from that standpoint. But even if I go to 10,000 feet, I'm not going to get sick, but I'm not able to push myself nearly as hard the first couple days. Um, you know, an eight or 10 mile day is, is limiting. Uh, whereas, you know, if I go and hunt at 5,000 or 7,000 feet, I can get 14 or 15 miles uh, and those are still long, hard days, but I guess what I'm trying to point out is my effective range and my ability to really push myself and hunt hard is probably cut by, you know, at least 30 or 40% those first couple days. And that's me living it at a higher elevation. So for somebody coming from a low elevation and going to 8,000 to 10,000 feet, somewhere in there, uh, don't expect to push yourself hard for the first couple days. And, uh, you know, if you can't push yourself hard, you aren't going to have... Uh, near the opportunities, I don't think. So those first couple of days are going to be more scouting mission and uh, not so much putting yourself in a, in a success opportunity type of a situation. Yeah. So I, I guess to, to wrap that section up there, from the sounds of it, it, you would basically need to allot 13 to 14 days, including weekends to, uh, to, make, to make this happen or give yourself you know, the right opportunity. I would say 12 would kind of be my my minimum. So, you know, if you're taking off on a Wednesday and getting back home the following Sunday, 
that gives you what seven, eight, nine, ten. That's that's about. I would say that would be the minimum. And if you're taking off Wednesday, you know you're you're working Monday and Tuesday, then leaving Wednesday. If there's any way you can afford those extra two days, so you're basically taking ten days of vacation time. If you have a normal Monday to Friday job, um, that buys you a whole bunch because you have weekends on both ends and uh, a lot of time in between. So it's a it's a big investment of time. If you only have one day of travel and you can make it to your destination, you know, leave one day and make it there late the next or that night, um, that buys you two extra days. So it's, you know, you could get away with a Friday through Sunday, the following Sunday situation, but those drive days are, are uh, they're time eaters. They eat a lot of time out of your, out of your schedule. Yeah, and they're just as tiring too sometimes, you know, just yeah. sitting for that long can be just as tiring as, you know, hiking up and down the mountains all day, just in a different Absolutely. way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so with that, okay, so you you recognize, you know, you need to allot this amount of vacation time. When it comes to like a budgeting standpoint, what what are you looking at to kind of give a ballpark number um, you know, someone coming from the east to head out west, and how would you break that down? You know, I it, it's and there's so many factors and variables depending on where you're going. You know, Montana's a $900 investment just for the elk tag and license, um, and then there's other states that are you know maybe not as expensive that you could go and hunt. Uh, but just you know, if we look at averaging things and say, you know, Colorado's pushing $700, Idaho's pushing 600, Oregon's a little over 700, Wyoming's a little over 700, Montana's, you know, 900, Arizona's almost, you know, a little over 800. So just averaging that out, let's say $750 for a, a license tag, uh, the the basics of what you need to be able to, to go and legally hunt elk. Um, fuel's kind of the wild card. If you're driving out, you know, if you've got a thousand mile drive from where you are to the state you're hunting, uh, you're probably looking at 350 to $400, depending on fuel prices. But right now, uh, looking at 350 to $400 round trip. Uh, again, you can split that. If you have a buddy coming with you, you cut that in half. Um, depending on how much experience you've had hunting, uh, whether it's Western hunting or even just, you know, a lot of the gear that you use for whitetail hunting can cross over and, and be efficient. But I'd probably budget four to $500 uh, minimum for gear, you know, just essential gear that you might not have for a Western hunt if you're coming out. Um, you know, I mean, things like flashlights, tents, sleeping bags, cots, those sort of things that a lot of people already have, uh, you're going to be able to use. But there's some things that, you know, some of the gear you have, uh, maybe a backpack, boots, things like that, that you might need to invest in specific for a, for a Western hunt. So I'd say to budget, you know, 500 bucks for gear and that's gonna there's you know might change a bit for one person versus another you might already have everything you need or you might not have anything at all and you might need to spend a little more and then food you know everyone's different on on what they need for food but i think you can get away with uh 200 or 250 bucks for you know that 10 day period uh knowing you're going to be eating freeze-dried meals at night and uh going light, you know, as far as sandwiches and things for lunch, you don't need to get too extravagant. If you're staying at a hotel and you're eating out every morning and every night, that's uh, that's going to add to your budget. But 
I think realistically, you know, if you plan on eighteen hundred bucks, you can you can certainly pull off a decent elk hunt uh, on that budget. You can save by going. You know, Idaho probably has the cheapest uh, license and tag cost out of the Western states. Uh, Colorado's not too far behind, so you can you can shave a little off of what we estimated for the license and tag average. Uh, if you come with a buddy and, and fuel cost, you can shave on that a little bit. If you already have the gear, you can shave. So you'd probably get it down to fifteen hundred bucks. But I think a good average number is eighteen hundred, uh, up to two thousand on the high side. And you know, with that being said, I realize that's that's not just a uh, drop in the bucket, you know, it's, that's a significant amount of money. But at the same time, if you're planning, you know, six months from now, it's a little more, you know, you got to save 300 bucks a month. But if you're planning for September of 2020, you've got 18 months, so a hundred bucks a month. And I think that we can all find ways to either save out of what we're currently spending a hundred bucks a month, or we can figure out a way to take up a part-time job and work, you know, a Saturday a month or something and, and save that. So it's certainly realistic and, and I don't want to make light of the fact that 1800 to $2,000 is a lot of money, but it's also something I think any of us can, can plan for and, and set aside uh, whether it's this year or next year. The other thing to consider, you know, we're, we're talking about how to make the hunt happen uh, for $1,800. I think it's also important to build in some contingency there that, hey, I'm going to be successful. And when that happens, I may need to pay somebody to process or at least freeze the meat for me to to transport back home. Um, you know, you're looking at taxidermy and other things. If, you know, again, going back to our expectations, uh, if we're coming out and this is a hunt that we're going to draw a tag for in a good area, it's going to cost a little bit more money as we invest in a couple years of waiting to draw that tag. And then uh, also realizing, hey, this might be a, a hunt that, I might have a taxidermy bill at the end of it, uh, but just to go on that hunt, I think eighteen hundred to two thousand is a, a very realistic number, and uh, there are things you can do to hopefully increase your chances and opportunities for success, and and have a realistic expectation to be bringing home a cooler full of elk meat. Yeah, and and one thing that so when you you had put you know these numbers up on the University of Elk Hunting and you know break it down and in, in a lot of detail there, so I kind of took at it. I, I took it and looked at it from a perspective of okay, so if you want to, you want to go hunting in one year. Just I'm just going to go from a 12 month, 24 month, 36 month type standpoint. So if you're going to go for one in one year, you need to save an estimated 165 dollars a month, and I think I calculated that based off of 2,000 dollars as a worst case scenario, and so 165 dollars a month. That's you know that's that's a good chunk of change. But when you look at it, say if say if you're someone that's going to buy a vehicle and you're looking at you know buying a, a 2018 versus a 2015, you're going to save that 165 dollars a month, no problem, in, in a car payment and a vehicle payment. Then um, if you're looking at you know two years out, you're looking at you know 80 you know 83 dollars a month, three years 55 dollars a month. There's things you can cut out and. It all depends on what your priorities are and, you know, kind of what, what you thought there. Cause I, I, I mean, you had mentioned about, you know, working a part-time job and I understand that, you know, depending on family situations and a whole bunch of different things, that's not always possible, 
But, you know, with, with me, my first year and first couple of years, I worked part-time in an archery shop to be able to afford the gear and, and the other stuff to be, to be able to go out there. there. There's always ways around it if you want it bad enough. And, and I think that the experience that you can gather from it is, is worth figuring it out. <laughs> totally. No. And I, I just, you know, I, I've helped a few people in the past with financial planning and setting up budgets, and I'm not a financial planner. I'll make that disclaimer right now. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm i an engineer. I like numbers. And sometimes, you know, getting somebody's help with budgets and everything from an outside perspective can be helpful. And so I've had friends that have, have approached me and asked for help in that area. And it's amazing when you start breaking down what we spend money on. And if we don't have a budget that we follow, how easy it is to uh, go through a couple hundred dollars a month on just frivolous, unneeded things. And if we really are, are serious about it and set up a budget, how easy it is to save that 150 or $200 a month just out of you know, going out to eat. Sometimes we just look at it like, hey, every Friday night, I'm going to take my wife out to eat. Um, and certainly, I'm not saying give up date time with your wife to go on an elk hunt and, and do that. But you know, it, it's pretty easy to spend forty or fifty dollars on a on a meal for a couple people. Uh, and if you know, just looking at how many times a month you're doing that, looking at some people, you know, they stop at you know the local coffee drive-through every morning on their way to work and buy a five or six dollar coffee. And you know, if you're willing to. Uh, make your own drink at home or, you know, at work or whatever, and only spend a dollar instead of $6, just, you know, that four or $5 a day over the course of a month adds up really quickly. And so there are ways that if you are serious and, and create a budget and stick to that budget, uh, you can set aside the money needed to be able to go on that elk hunt without, and again, this don't, don't take this as me saying $2,000 is not a lot of money, but I think, uh, when you start planning ahead over 12 months, it becomes much more manageable. And it's something that if elk hunting is a dream of yours, you don't have to sacrifice. Uh, you know, you don't have to go out and sell your children or donate a kidney <laughs> or anything like that to be able to go on an elk hunt. You can, you can make it happen. Yeah. And, and definitely don't word it with your, with your significant other that, oh, hey, we're going to, we're not going to go on date nights anymore because I want to go on an elk hunt, right? There's probably a, a little bit different way of wording that to them <laughs> just to save exactly. yourself. <laughs> and if you do word it that way, do not bring up Corey Jacobson's name in the sentence because <laughs> I don't want to be the scapegoat there. Yeah, you might want to make sure there's no email contact on the Elk 101 website, that's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's a, a good starting point from that. And like, like you said, there's so many different variables in there. You know, the, the first year I I spent more money on gear than I probably needed to um, just because I like to research things more than I probably should and uh and but there's there's like you said if you want to make it happen you can and with that kind of being said there's you know a couple different there's there's a bunch of different options but if you're looking at a, a do-it-yourself style hunt you know you hear a couple different ways of completing these hunts from a camping standpoint so there's you know camping at the truck setting up tent and going in light every day with, you know, like a day pack and coming back out every night to the trailhead or wherever you're parked. And then there's a, a bivy style hunting, which, 
you know, if you're going to be doing a bivy style hunting, meaning you're carrying camp and everything on your back and all your food for, uh, you know, an extended duration of time, there's going to be a little bit more of an expense probably with gear on, on that standpoint. But Corey, do you kind of see any, you know, positives and negatives versus the, the two and what do you prefer? You know, it, it really, again, comes back to what you defined as your expectations and goal, um, I've found for me and my style of hunting, I I do better from a base camp. So we're coming back in the vehicle each night to a base camp. We might be driving 10 miles from camp to a trailhead, uh, but it just gives you a much more you know, range of mobility, I guess, just to be able to go in, in 10 miles in every direction uh, and drive to a different trailhead and hike in. With that being said, we're, we're taxing our bodies a lot more. You know, we're hiking 10 to 12 miles a day on average to get back into these areas. Whereas if you bivy hunt or set up a spike camp, the benefit is you make an exertion of energy to get back in there. And then each day you aren't having to go as far to, to be able to get into elk or to find elk. Uh, the problem is anymore, so many people are hunting that way that even if you get back in 10 miles into an area, you're probably going to see other people. And, you know, that's, that's disheartening to go that far and realize your only mode of transportation at that point is your feet. And you just aren't able to put a lot of distance between you and, and these other hunters. So, uh, like you mentioned, there's the cost factor, a bivy hunt. You're going to have to have lighter gear. You're going to have to have uh, more capacity in your backpack. And you're going to have to make more of an investment in gear for that style of hunting. I think there's advantages uh, depending on the area. If you know the area and you need to get back in six or seven miles, uh, you're, you're not going to deal with as much pressure. The elk are probably not going to be as pressured there than they will be a mile from a, from a base camp. Uh, the benefit of a base camp, though, is you do have mobility with you know, a vehicle to be able to just up and go 20 miles away and try a completely new area if you're running into hunting pressure or you aren't finding elk. You're just going to be able to, um, I think, locate elk easier by, by being mobile. Uh, the, the downside of those base camps is you're probably going to have several vehicles camped close to you, more people, uh, at the road, and that can be pretty frustrating as well. So I think it, you know, it comes down to the expectation of what you want. Uh, the beauty of it is, you know, states like Idaho, Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, Oregon, a lot of these states uh, that have either over-the-counter or easy-to-draw tags for a non-resident, have a plethora of of either and so you can kind of choose what you want uh, and, and match it up with your expectations if your expectation and your goal is to fill an elk tag uh, you know i think you're it's, it's six is really it comes down to you're going to be able to cover more country and be more mobile from a base camp but you're gonna have to contend with more hunting pressure on the flip side you're going to be less mobile uh, you're going to be hunting elk that aren't as pressured. You aren't going to have as many people typically to contend with. So it's it's kind of a trade-off. And I, I think success can be certainly had on either style of hunt. And uh, I would even say relatively comparable uh, for both styles of hunting. Yeah, no, that's, it's it's funny. I mean, the first couple of years I did the, the bivy style for seven, eight days at a time. And and that was great, but the problem that I was finding, at least in the area I was in, was I was, I was well, I guess I was setting up a spike camp. So I, I was going up, setting camp up in four or five miles, and 
then I was finding elk back closer to the truck. And there was, there was people that were going past me up on the ridges, you know, camping and, you know, getting back in. There was a couple guys we talked to, they were like 10, 11 miles back in. And I was finding the elk that I, you know, screwed up on multiple times. They were all in that like one and a half to three mile from the truck range. It was just an overlooked spot where the trail just ran up the ridge and they were in that little steep valley that was, you know, off to the side. And, and it was just, it was funny. And so that's why this year, um, the first seven days of the trip, uh, we just truck camped and went in a lot lighter, a lot more mobile. And once we, the elk weren't there, it was super dry. We got in the truck and, you know, after four days and drove to a completely different part of the unit and, and just kept, you know, being mobile that way. So that was for me. And it just took learning the area to kind of figure that out. But I'll tell you what, being able to, to kind of come back to the, the truck, I don't know what it is, but it almost feels a little bit more like home than it does when you're, you know, backpack hunting. So I guess it depends on what you want. Yeah. You can just have so many more luxuries, uh, at a base camp like that, you know, everything from charging systems, be able to charge your phone or a video camera, or, you know, being able to have a, a little shower bag that you hang out and let the sun warm up the water and you get back there and you have warm water and a shower and, you know, your stoves that you can boil water on and access to water, you know, there are definitely a lot of, of comforts that come from a, a base camp situation that you give up when you go on a spike camp or a bivy camp. Yeah. I, I think I need to invest in one of those solar showers. That's something I haven't, I haven't looked into yet, but would, would sure be nice better than the, the wet wipes. <laughs> yeah. And we, we have one of those solar showers. We actually don't really use the solar portion of it, but to have that, you know, I don't know what the bag holds three gallons or something of water, and uh, we can boil a gallon of water and mix it with a gallon of water out of the creek, and it's still fairly warm, mm-hmm. and take a warm shower every day if we want to, and we don't that often, but it's it's nice at least during the middle of the week once to have that luxury, and it's amazing how refreshing a just a little spit shower like that from a base camp can really be. Yeah, no, definitely. So, okay, so, you know, there's a couple different styles of of camping options there. To kind of go back to the rest of the planning phase, so you're, you're, you know, you pick one or the other, what you're looking at. From an over-the-counter standpoint is, are there, you know, more over-the-counter friendly states that you would recommend people looking into? Um, You know, you'd mentioned about the tag costs and everything else and and already kind of mentioned Colorado from an ease of, ease of uh driving from coming from the east but what would you recommend there you know and again that goes back to what we defined at the beginning with expectations but um in an in a kind of nutshell when you're looking at opportunity which is over the counter that means you know you have an opportunity to just show up and purchase a tag or to essentially avoid some kind of a drawing or lottery process to obtain a tag, uh, that's high opportunity. The associated, you know, flip side of that is when you have high opportunity, you usually have lower quality. And I'm making a very general statement here because there's some units within some of these over-the-counter states that have incredible quality if you're willing to do the research and find them and then obviously do a little bit of legwork to get into those areas sometimes. Um, but you can find high opportunity and high quality areas. But for the most part, if you have high opportunity, 
you're sacrificing quality on some level. And when I say quality, that could be hunting pressure. You know, low quality means more hunters. Uh, it could be the number of elk in an area. So low quality would mean low numbers of elk. Uh, or it might just mean the general age class of the elk, where, you know, a lot of the units in Colorado, they, it's over the counter. So many hunters go there that the elk just get bombarded each year and, and you don't have a, a higher age class, meaning you aren't hunting mature animals for the most part. You're hunting uh, a younger bull or you're hunting a, a cow, an antlerless elk, which Honestly, for somebody coming out and just wanting the experience to hunt, there is nothing in the world wrong with hunting an antlerless elk. And those opportunities are, uh, there's a lot of opportunity for that. So it's important to understand that when you go on an over-the-counter type hunt, uh, your expectations need to be in line with that. And you, it would probably be unrealistic to say, I want to go on my first hunt to an over-the-counter state and I only have five days to do it and I only want to spend $1,500 and I want to shoot a 350-inch bull. You know, that's just uh, pretty unrealistic. I'm going to advise against having that be your expectation. But if, uh, if that is your expectation, you know, it, it's happened before. Uh, but realistically, when you're looking over-the-counter, uh, the states that offer over-the-counter tags that I think are worth discussing, Colorado's probably the number one choice for somebody coming from the east just based on the time frame. When you start looking at Idaho or Oregon, you're probably adding another day of travel to to get to those destinations. Uh, the thing to remember is Montana and Wyoming do not have an over-the-counter tag, but they're great options for a non-resident because in Montana with zero points, you have to apply for the license, but you can get one of their, they call them a general license, which gives you access to basically three quarters of the state uh, for hunting, you can draw that. You have 50% draw odds with zero points. Or if you're knowing you're going to hunt next year, buy a preference point for $50 and next year you're guaranteed to draw that license. So it can essentially become an over-the-counter option or at least a guaranteed option uh, every other year. Wyoming is very similar. Their, their general tag for a non-resident, you have to apply for it. And it takes a little bit longer to draw, but I think with two points, you are pretty much guaranteed. And again, you can buy a point there for $50. And, uh, you know, if you're planning on going in three years, you're guaranteed. If you're planning on going next year, you still have a really good chance with, with that one point. So um, those open up as options where they aren't over the counter. But if you're if your time frame allows for it, they are guaranteed within one to two years to draw a tag there. Um, and those are, I think, probably travel-wise for somebody coming from back east, probably an easier option than Idaho or Oregon. Uh, if you start looking at states like uh, Arizona, Utah, New Mexico, or let's leave New Mexico out of this discussion for now, Arizona, Nevada, Utah, uh, those states... There, there's not a over-the-counter option that's worth us discussing in this conversation, <laughs> and uh, it's going to take longer to draw a tag. Those are more of a long-term strategy that, hey, I want to hunt a quality elk, and I want to be able to have that experience where there's 10 bulls bugling one morning, uh, where there's fewer people. You're going to have to invest time in drawing those tags, and typically you have to buy a license every year to invest in in that, and so it's going to take more money, and those are maybe more of a long-term strategy. 
Uh, New Mexico is kind of that that wild card that they don't have a point system. Uh, this year, you ha- you do have to buy a non-refundable license, but it's still only sixty or sixty-five dollars, so it's not a huge expense. Uh, the downside is you don't get a a point, so every year you have the same odds as as everyone else, which. From my standpoint, is a is a beautiful thing. You know, there's, I have that same chance. I can shoot for the moon in New Mexico and try to draw a really quality hunt. And if I don't, there are places I can go and and fall back on and still go elk hunting. And I'm not out much money to uh, to try to draw that New Mexico tag. So, I guess if I was looking at hunting elk this year, six months from now, Colorado, Idaho, Oregon are probably. Uh, the only realistic over-the-counter options I have, uh, depending on when you listen to this podcast, the deadline to apply for Wyoming has passed. Uh, it's in uh, January every year is basically the month to apply for that Wyoming, uh, Montana. The deadline's March 15th. Uh, the nice thing is you hear back early enough on, on either of those that if you do meet those deadlines and can apply – and don't draw either of those states, you can uh, fall back and still get a tag in Colorado, Idaho, or Oregon and, and still go on a hunt that same year. So um, those are my three over-the-counter states, Oregon, Idaho, Colorado, with uh, non-over-the-counter but high chances of drawing those tags being Montana and Wyoming. And those would be the the five states I would recommend a non-resident uh, coming from back east looking at for those opportunity hunts. Okay. And it's funny, I mean, you were talking about Oregon there. That's one that you don't hear um, very often people talk about, or at least I haven't, when it comes to an over-the-counter state. And I'm guessing a lot of that has to do with just the drive distance, but I I haven't heard that. Yeah, and Oregon's not managed for quality. They have, I don't know, I used to say five to ten controlled hunts, limited hunts that you apply for. that are worth looking at and they're still quality hunts, but a non-resident getting into the draw system right now really has no chance of ever drawing them in their lifetime. So I don't even like to mention those as uh, opportunities for someone getting into hunting now or or looking at going on their first hunt. Uh, But Oregon has a ton of over-the-counter opportunities. A lot of their state, uh, I would say 80% of the state is probably over-the-counter Uh, The western half of the state is a Roosevelt elk hunt, which I wouldn't advise for somebody going on their first elk hunt. It's just a thick terrain. You aren't going to see much. It's going to be pretty discouraging. The weather can be be difficult. Uh, So that limits you to the eastern half of the state. And Oregon has really good terrain. You know, there's some rugged stuff, some really rugged stuff, but there's also some really manageable terrain that's not at high elevation. The problem is there's so much access to a lot of it and there's so many people on those over-the-counter tags that it's, if you don't know where you're going, uh, it can take a couple of years to really learn it. And the opportunities to be successful are probably lower there than in Colorado or Idaho for someone going on their first uh, over-the-counter elk hunt. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Like I said, I just, just hadn't heard much about that, but that, uh, that clears it up a little bit. All right. So if you're looking at, again, we've went through some of these other options in the planning phases. Now you're, you're going, you're going to go this year. This is your year to hunt elk and you have to start the, you know, the scouting phase, which is gets into your, you know, second module here in the university of elk hunting. And you have, you know, listed here a bunch of 
um, resources and everything that, that you're using for that. Do you want to touch briefly on these resources and, and more or less, you know, how you're using them to, to, uh, scout for this, this hunt? For sure. Yeah. And, and there's so many resources. It can almost be overwhelming. So I try to really narrow it down to just a, a couple that I feel are the most valuable. Uh, there are certainly more resources out there. It used to be, you know, I would have to get on each state's uh, fishing game website and go through their clunky website to try to find statistics on some of the key features I look at to really pick an area. Because once you pick a state, you know, that's you, you've, that's just the planning phase. We haven't even got into the scouting yet. And so once you pick the state, then you've got to kind of narrow down to which area within the state do I want to hunt. And some states require you to pick uh, an actual unit. And the tag that you get or the license you get is only good for a, a specific geographic area within the state. Uh, states like Montana, Wyoming, if you get their general licenses, you have multiple areas you can choose from and you can bounce around from area to area within the season. Uh, Oregon is similar. Idaho, though, if you come to Idaho and hunt, you have to pick which zone you want to hunt. And some of the zones are only one to, to three units and they're fairly small geographic areas that you're confined to. Uh, so trying to determine which of these areas you want to pick if you have to pick an area or which of the areas you want to focus on, you know, geographically, if you want to choose where to set your camp, uh, it can be a big difference. There are some areas within states that are incredible areas, and you go just 100 miles in another direction, and you aren't even going to see an elk track. So trying to determine where to hunt uh, within the state is important. And a lot of times the states have information that can be helpful. Uh, a couple of the factors I look at are bull-to-cow ratios. And, you know, just how those herds are managed, how the, the health of the herd is, the more bulls you have per 100 cows, uh, probably the better hunting you're going to have, especially if you're hunting a branch antlered or a, a mature elk. Uh, success rates, most of the states will tell you within each unit what the success rates are. And so that gives you an idea of, hey, I'm archery hunting. The average is 10% for archery hunters on a do-it-yourself public land hunt. But this unit has 30% success. Why? You know, is it a remote unit where people are hiking in 10 miles to get in there and there's only 50 people hunting and, you know, 15 of them tag out. So it's it's a higher overall success rate, but there's only 15 elk in that unit killed. Is that, you know, does that help me coming on my first elk hunt to, to see that? Um, you can see statistics as far as the maturity of the animals. A lot of states will publish the percentage of six-point bulls that are killed in a specific unit. Uh, you can see hunter density as far as how many hunters within each unit are hunting there and get an idea of how, you know, how much pressure there's going to be. So doing that, you know, can, can be really helpful. I'll put in a plug here for Go Hunt because Go Hunt's basically taking all of these statistics for every state and put it in one location. And so I've kind of got away from going to the state websites. I just buy an annual membership to Go Hunt and jump in there. And I can look at every single state. So I can look at Colorado, say, you know, what my criteria is, what the success rates are, the bull to cow ratios, the percentage of public land, all of that information's right there. And then on the same website, I can click over and look at the same thing in Idaho or Oregon or any of the Western elk states, that information's all there. So it's really uh, 
simplified my my research there. Uh, well, and that's that. Go ahead. Well, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was going to interrupt you for a second, just to warn everyone: if you do get a membership to Go Hunt and you have a job at all where you're working on a computer in an office. Be careful with it. It's a dangerous tool that you can spend way more time on that your boss <laughs> won't be happy with. I I can completely agree with that as far as Go Hunt has been huge for me. You know, I I go back and forth from, you know, going through your course and and looking up kind of the order as I'm going through things, but when it comes down to scouting that that um a, a area or researching the states and all of those, you know, all the other stuff that you had said there as far as data goes, I mean, it's it's a no-brainer for me. If you're going to be putting any time into figuring this out, that's a, a worthwhile investment. Yeah, and we didn't talk. You know, there's so much more detail to go into. We, we don't have time to talk about it here. But in the online course, I talk about coming up with short-term, mid-term, and long-term strategies. So if you want to hunt elk every other year or every three years, you know, start thinking now 10 years out apply for some of these states or build points in some of these states so that in 10 years, you're going to be able to draw a quality tag. But in the meantime, go hunting now and, and pick up some of the over-the-counter tags. And so go hunt breaks down. I mean, you can look at draw odds. What units can I draw with, you know, one point, with five points, with 10 points? What units are over-the-counter? What can I draw with zero points or purchase with zero points? And so go hunt's a, a really powerful tool especially if you're planning on you know any kind of a, a strategy uh, more so than just a one-time hunt even with a one-time hunt it definitely helps with planning and finding that area within the state once you pick the state yeah no definitely that, that's it's like i said that's been a really um good resource for me and as far as like you said the the state websites can be good and have a lot of information it's just trying to find that right information can be difficult yeah, but and then I think you know as far as on the ground resource or not on the ground, but actual scouting resource to say, uh, you know, we we've located the unit we want to hunt based on statistics. Now we've got to find the area within that unit that holds the elk, and hands down the the two resources I use and I I couple them and use them together. But it's Google Earth and Onyx Maps, and those two resources I think coupled with go hunt it's i mean when i look back 20 years to to when we were hunting elk to where it is today i can sit here at my computer and and accomplish probably more from a remote scouting standpoint in six hours spent on the computer than i could accomplish with six days on the ground 20 years ago and it's just i mean it's it's changed the way that scouting can be done and and people always say, well, it's going to ruin hunting. It's going to change success rates. I really don't think it is because it might put more people in an area. It might allow them to find better areas. But at the end of the day, elk hunting is hard work. And I don't think there are any more uh, percentage of people who are willing to put in hard work than there were 20 years ago. And so that's that's realistically why I don't think we see overall success rates changing. I think the people who are willing to put in the work can be successful their first or second time out. Uh, far more readily than they could have been 10 or 20 years ago. But, uh, you know, as we talk about all these technology advancements, I, I don't think it's going to change overall success rates just because uh, there's that percentage of the population that's just not willing to work hard 
to obtain success. And if you're willing to work hard, the tools are here now so that you can be successful individually. But as a general statement, uh, success rates, I don't think we're going to see grow too much overall. Okay. Yeah. And, and, um, so you're using, you know, Onyx and Google Earth there. What, what are you looking at um, when you're pulling up these maps, like for an area? Like if you're circling an area or marking a waypoint on Onyx, what, what are you looking for? So I start with Google Earth and I jump into Google Earth and uh, I find the unit, you know, the actual geographic area that I'm going to be hunting. And again, that's based off of the, the data I've collected through Go Hunt and my research there. Uh, then within Google Earth, I so what I do is I just get up, you know, mile high or whatever overview of the of Google Earth. I put it in 3D mode so I can see mountains and everything. And the first thing I really look for are north facing slopes. And I know it sounds like a weird place to start, but realistically, when you get into an area, only about 25% of the area is going to be north facing slopes. And I'm looking for an area that has a lot of north-facing slopes. And the reason north-facing slopes are important are that is typically where you're going to find elk bedding areas. And when you think about where an elk spends most of its life, it's in those bedding areas. Those are their sanctuaries. Uh, they're areas of seclusion where they're safe and protected. And, you know, it's where they go and spend most of their daylight hours, which is the time that we spend hunting. So most of the, the time that we're hunting elk, they're going to be in those bedding areas. And so knowing where those, those primary bedding areas are is going to be important. Obviously feed areas and water are important, but they're usually gonna be traveling from those feed and water areas to their bedding areas uh, as soon as it's daylight. And then they're gonna be spending the majority of the day in those bedding areas. So knowing or, or finding bedding areas is my first step. And if I can find an area that's just riddled with these north facing areas, uh, that's gonna you know, be a, a general area that I'm gonna start focusing in on. And with Google Earth, it's really easy. You can dial the, the map around, the aerial view around so that you're looking north or that you're looking from the, from the south into the north facing slopes and you can see them real easily. The other thing that's nice is most north-facing slopes are more heavily vegetated. So on Google Earth, from the aerial view, you're able to see those more dense areas are just a darker green area. So they stand out really easily. So that's my first step. Once I locate an area, I'm like, man, there are a bunch of good-looking north-facing slopes in, in this sub-area. Then I can dial in and start looking for food sources and water sources. And... Both of them take a little bit of, of getting used to to actually see them, so they start popping out to you. But realistically, a food source is just an open area on Google Earth, so an area that doesn't have uh, heavy vegetation. So if you're in a heavily vegetated area, the grasses, the things that the elk are going to be grazing on, are usually going to be uh, kind of choked out either by other vegetation growing, whether it's, you know, dense brush growing, it doesn't allow the grass to grow. Or if it's a real heavy canopy of heavy timber, a lot of times there's not going to be good green grasses that the elk are going to be grazing on in that area. So I look for open ridges, uh, open hillsides that are probably going to hold more of the feed that the elk are going to be looking for. Uh, also, you, you know, water is kind of hard to see on Google Earth, but a lot of times, again, you can see those lush green uh, valley bottoms, uh, the drainages, the draws that run up that are more green than others in the bottoms. 
you can see lakes and creeks a lot of times and know that, hey, there's water at least in this area. And then using the date feature on Google Earth, you're able to look and see, was, this, was the image taken uh, in June or was it taken in October? And it's important to look at that because if an image is taken in April or May, there might be water everywhere. And then you get there in September to hunt elk and realize, man, everything's dry right now. There's no water anywhere. And so the imagery date is, is important to kind of correlate to those features you're looking for, the food and the water. And so once I find, you know, those good bedding areas in close proximity to open ridges or open meadows where there's good feed and then you know, triangulate that water feature and make sure that there's water in close proximity, uh, it really narrows down and I'm able to find four or five primary areas within that sub area that I can actually say, I want to go and check out this specific draw within this unit. And from there I transfer, you know, I put a, a place mark in Google Earth uh, and I label it, you know, primary scouting area one or whatever I want to label it. And then I can real easy, really easily transfer that place mark to Onyx Maps. And Onyx Map is just an app that you can put on your phone. It really replaces a GPS. You don't even need a GPS in the field with it anymore. And I'm able to put that pin on my Onyx Maps. And now when I go out in the field, I can walk right to that pin in the field. So I basically sit at my computer, I, I research data, I find the unit I want to hunt, I get on Google Earth, I find the areas within that unit I want to hunt, I put a pin on, on my Onyx app, and then I go out in the field and I walk right to that area and I'm able, able to uh, basically verify that, hey, there's elk sign here. And you know, that's a whole other topic for discussion, what, what we look for in the field as far as elk sign that's going to let us know the elk are going to be here during hunting season. But it, it's a really simple process to find elk hunting areas, and I use it regularly. Now, I love going to new areas year after year and uh, testing it out. And, and honestly, very few times have we not been in elk our first day hunting in a new area using that approach. Great. Now, that's a lot of really good information there, Corey. And, and from the first year of the course, when I um, when I marked those areas on Google Earth, like you said, and was able to transfer it over at the time, I was using, you know, Garmin GPS with the chip and the Onyx chip in there. And I went to that in the first night, you know, we were on the opposite valley facing north facing slope and we let a bugle off and one answered to us right on that north facing slope. It was just like the greatest feeling that from, you know, all the way across the United States, me looking on a computer screen and marking this waypoint, it, you know, it ended up working out from, at least from a location standpoint. And that's, that's pretty cool to be able to find. Totally. And I think it's worth, you know, pointing out that it's not that easy just to go on an elk hunt and show up and be into elk. They're, the areas they live are, you know, they're pretty specific. They're not spread out, you know, evenly throughout the units and, and even within specific units within states, some of them have very few elk. And so, to be able to research and scout remotely like that is such an advantage. And uh, like you said, to, to be able to step out on a ridge your first evening of a hunt, first time you've ever been elk hunting and hear an elk bugle, there are people that have hunted elk for three years or five years and have still not heard an elk bugle or still have not got in within 200 yards of an elk. And so it's, 
it's not easy by any means, but I think with the resources out there, it's, uh, it's certainly making it so that those who want to do the work and put in their homework and their legwork uh, can increase their chances for opportunities for sure. Yeah. And, and again, I, I appreciate you, you saying that that way with increase the chances of opportunity to make me not feel as bad. You know, <laughs> I've had it's, plenty it's of opportunities. Never guaranteed success. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Corey, I think that's that's probably all we have time for here. I mean, that's a lot of information that we covered, you know, in an hour here. But I think that gives a really good starting point for the listeners. And and again, these modules in the course really dive into this a lot more and give a lot of pictures and and showing like from the Google Earth scouting. Um, I think you did a great job of describing it, you know, in an audio version, but being able to see that, you know, described on, you know, using pictures and videos and everything, uh, I think that helps out uh, a lot and really puts uh, the pieces of the puzzle together. So I think um, we'll definitely have to, you know, jump back on here and, and cover up some, cover some different modules as we go on throughout the year here. But I... I think, do you have anything else that you want to cover on those, those topics we went over? No, we, we touched on a ton of information. In fact, people are probably going to need to listen to this podcast a couple times to, to get it all. And, and it's really just an overview of uh, essentially four of the 54 chapters in the online course. And like you mentioned, there's a lot more detail in all of these subjects we, we touched on, but there's a ton more. And you know, I'd be excited to talk on you know, maybe a little on physical conditioning and gear and then elk calls, which I, if you're elk hunting, you've got to go during the rut and you've got to experience the call, you know, the, the elk bugle. That's just, it takes elk hunting from a, from an incredible experience to uh, an addiction. I mean, it really, and I, I, I put that in the online course. If you're planning on going elk hunting and it's a bucket list thing and you want to go one time you had better have a contingency clause in your plan because once you go and hear an elk bugle, you are not going to be able to get rid of that. It's going to be an illness that you carry for the rest of your life. And the only thing you're going to be able to find to fix it is time in the mountains in September every year. And and so, uh, you know, I, I think you've got to just experience that bugle and being able to chase bugles and hunt them during the rut is uh, is incredible. But it also adds another element to to uh, the learning curve of learning to use elk calls and uh, learning to call elk which are two separate things learning to use an elk call and learning how to to use the call to call an elk those are uh, two different topics but I think that'd be exciting to touch on a bit as well and, and offer some tips on on that yeah no I think that would be I think that would be really great and and like I said at the beginning of this I mean this this podcast episode wasn't, you know, meant to really, you know, plan the entire hunt here for you. There's just not enough time for, you know, either Corey and I both to sit here and talk and, and just, there's so much that goes into it, but these are really good. You know, I think Corey really dove into these best he could with the time that we have to give you an idea of it. And hopefully that gets you, you know, spark to want to, to dive into a little bit more and, you know, plan that, that dream hunt or something that may turn into something as I got bit by the bug and am going back every year. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, this podcast is a great one to 
get listeners off the fence. You know, just quit dreaming about it. Life is short and time goes by so fast. You know, quit quit saying someday I want to go elk hunting and start planning it now. And that might be, you know, it might be three years before you go, but commit to going on an elk hunt because it is it's it's life changing. I mean it's it's a cliche you hear all the time, but it's once you chase elk in in the area that they live in and just that experience alone, that adventure alone, uh, regardless of whether you successfully fill a tag on an elk hunt, um, I think it's it's so worth it. And so, hopefully, this podcast gets gets the listeners to commit to going on an elk hunt, and then from there, we'll you know we'll do some follow up podcasts and help them plan, strategize, do some of that you know the, the other important in the field type things that that'll come but yeah for this podcast make a commit to going on an elk hunt and then uh, know that we're gonna be there to help you with information to make it a reality and, and make it successful as as it can be yeah and and again thank you Corey, for you know taking the time to talk to the listeners here and myself as far as you know being a resource for this and and you were kind enough to you know give the listeners of the podcast a, a coupon code for your university of elk hunting that'll save you twenty dollars so as you've heard in the the intros of the last you know month's worth of podcasts here if you just enter in the the code east meets west you'd save twenty dollars on that online course that we've been you know discussing and kind of diving into here absolutely yeah and there's a lot of other benefits you know obviously the course itself and the educational value there but uh, if you sign up as a member you're going to get access to a private facebook group so you're going to be able to interact with other elk hunters who have similar questions or who have been there before and they're going to be able to answer specifically you know what's worked for them uh, the, the full course is available on an app, so you can have the app on your mobile device and take it in the field with you. Uh, so when you're actually out there hunting, you can reference the, the online course and uh, have that information. And, you know, a lot of cool giveaways and incentives and just it's it's a cool community, I think, to to be involved in a lot of benefits outside of just the uh, just the educational content, which I feel is uh, probably far worth far more than the, the $79 it's going to cost. Yeah. Yeah. And then like you said, even if you plan on buying, you know, some gear to go out, just the, the money you'd save in the X amount of, you know, percent off that you're giving to, you know, your store and different, you know, XO mountain gear, things like that, those companies, you'll, you'll save that money in, in no time that you spend on the course. So one last thing I wanted to note, Corey, that you kind of made me uh, think of the app so you can you can download some of the videos on the app for offline use and the biggest one that i had downloaded now for a while and uh hadn't had a chance to use was the one where you're using the gutless method and quarter and <laughs> the elk well when i started doing that to whitetails I still pull that video out and send it, you know, up. And even though you're doing it on an elk, it's the same thing for a whitetail. And absolutely, and that's how I learned how to, you know, do the gutless method and pack out whitetails. So it's pretty yep. interesting. No, there's, and that is a cool feature. And that was one of the things from the beginning when we designed the online course was we've got to make it so they have access to all the content in the field without an internet or Wi-Fi connection. So you can download 
you know, all of the written material, all of the images and everything are automatically in the app. And then you can go through and select any of the video components you want and download those inside the apps when you're in the field. You don't need any kind of connection to be able to watch them and play them back. Yeah, no, definitely. So, Corey, again, thanks for coming on here. And I can't wait to get to talk again here soon. Absolutely, Bo. Thanks so much for having me and for all the listeners. Uh, hope to see you in the Elkwoods here soon. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.